collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life. Hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like, and to let us know His plan for our lives, here on earth and in the hereafter. Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, The Bible. Stay tuned and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Selfie Dollar. Yes, here we are, thanking you for being along with us tonight for this very special edition of The Bible Live broadcast. This edition will feature a continued reading through the Gospel of Mark. That's where we are right now. We've come back to the New Testament. We have spent a pretty good season now in the Hebrew Scriptures. Through the year, we move straight through the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. We alternate back and forth between the two, the Old and the New Testaments. We read Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Then we went to the New Testament reading the first of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew first book of the New Testament. Then we went back to the Hebrew Scriptures to pick up Numbers and Deuteronomy, the last two books of the Torah, the five books of Moses, the books of the law. And now we're going back to the New Testament, picking up at the Gospel of Mark, the second book of the New Testament, the second of the four Gospels. So that's the way we do. We go from Mark, and we'll go back now and pick up Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, that period of history when the invasion of Canaan by the people of Israel as they returned from the 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And then after we've done Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, we'll come back and pick up the Gospel of Luke. That's the way we move through them. And it is remarkable how these readings have come out to be so enriching, particularly in the schedule that we have. I consider it personally a God thing. There was nothing scientific about it. It came out of my own years of reading through the Scriptures and working with the Scriptures. But part of our choice was also on the basis of the demands of the broadcast. But it just worked out beautifully, I have to say. We pick up very quickly the continuity in the Scriptures. They are not one God of the Old Testament and one God of the New. Both are full of grace. Both are filled with God's love. Both are filled with a just and holy and righteous God and a God of judgment and a God of discipline on his people. The same God is God of both Old and New Testaments. And we see the same plan of redemption, the same means by which God brings people into relationship with him, the means by which God makes people right with himself. 
We'll continue on that theme as we introduce the Gospel of Mark. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, a beautiful Psalm 148, which has a particular application for tonight's reading when you see Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. See what Psalm 148 tonight says about God's power over nature. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the skies. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all the armies of heaven. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you twinkling stars. Praise Him, skies above. Praise Him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For He issued His command and they came into being. He established them forever and forever. His orders will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths. Fire and hail, snow and storm, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, reptiles and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his godly ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. End of reading, Psalm listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are ready now for our reading tonight from the Gospel of Mark. Did you hear that, by the way, in Psalm 148? In verse 8, it says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depth, fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him. It was some years ago that I read this psalm, and then we went over and read Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is going across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and he calms the wind and the waves. Wow, that's a beautiful passage about how God is Lord over creation, and how that Jesus, the Messiah, exhibited to that characteristic. Jesus claims clearly to be the Messiah. There are four different kinds of claims. One is a direct claim. When he clearly says, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of Man, the Son of God. The Son of Man was a messianic title that he claimed for himself. And then there were indirect claims where he claimed to have some power, some prerogative, some authority that only God had. We saw that in our first reading in the Gospel of Mark when he said to the man that was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. They said, oh, only God can forgive sins. And of course, that was his point. And then he says, to show you that I do have that authority, rise up and walk. That's the the indirect claim. And then there's the dramatized claim that we'll see tonight when he calms the waves and the storm. Three kinds of claims, direct, indirect, and dramatized. We'll see all of those as we continue our way through the Gospel of Mark. Mark 3.20 through 6.1. Mark 3. When Jesus returned to the house where he was staying, the crowds began to gather again, and soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him home with them. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, 
He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and said to them by way of illustration, How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom at war with itself will collapse. A home divided against itself is doomed. And if Satan is fighting against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this. You can't enter a strong man's house and rob him without first tying him up. Only then can his house be robbed. I assure you that any sin can be forgiven, including blasphemy. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. It is an eternal sin. He told them this because they were saying he had an evil spirit. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived at the house where he was teaching. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, These are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Mark 4. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. There was such a large crowd along the shore that he got into a boat and sat down and spoke from there. He began to teach the people by telling many stories such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The plant sprang up quickly, but it soon wilted beneath the hot sun and died because the roots had no nourishment in the shallow soil. Other seed fell among thorns that shot up and choked out the tender blades so that it produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and produced a crop that was thirty, sixty, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him, What do your stories mean? He replied, You are permitted to understand a secret about the kingdom of God. But I am using these stories to conceal everything about it from outsiders, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. They see what I do, but they don't perceive its meaning. They hear my words, but they don't understand. So they will not turn from their sins and be forgiven. But if you can't understand this story, how will you understand all the others I am going to tell? The farmer I talked about is the one who brings God's message to others. The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the message, but then Satan comes at once and takes it away from them. The rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. At first they get along fine, but they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they believe the word. The thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for nice things. So no crop is produced. But the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's message and produce a huge harvest, thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed to shut out the light? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Everything that is now hidden or secret will eventually be brought to light. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. And be sure to pay attention to what you hear. The more you do this, the more you will understand, and even more besides. To those who are open to my teaching, 
more understanding will be given, but to those who are not listening, even what they have will be taken away from them. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Jesus also said, Here is another illustration of what the kingdom of God is like. A farmer planted seeds in a field, and then he went on with his other activities. As the days went by, the seeds sprouted and grew without the farmer's help, because the earth produces crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. Jesus asked, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed. Though this is one of the smallest of seeds, it grows to become one of the largest of plants with long branches where birds can come and find shelter. He used many such stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they were able to understand. In fact, in his public teaching, he taught only with parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained the meaning to them. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we are going to drown? When he woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? And they were filled with awe and said among themselves, Who is this man that even the wind and waves obey him? Mark 5. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the land of the Gerasenes. Just as Jesus was climbing from the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit ran out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the tombs and could not be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to control him. All day long and throughout the night, he would wander among the tombs and in the hills, screaming and hitting himself with stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. He ran to meet Jesus and fell down before him. He gave a terrible scream, shrieking, Why are you bothering me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? For God's sake, don't torture me! For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit! Then Jesus asked, What is your name? And the spirit replied, Legion, because there are many of us here inside this man. Then the spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the evil spirits begged. Jesus gave them permission. So the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake where they drowned. The herdsmen fled to the nearby city and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Everyone rushed out to see for themselves. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, but they were frightened when they saw the man who had been demon-possessed, for he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Those who had seen what happened to the man and to the pigs told everyone about it, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. When Jesus got back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go too. But Jesus said, No, go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. 
So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to tell everyone about the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. When Jesus went back across to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. A leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, came and fell down before him, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. She is about to die, he said in desperation. Please come and place your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and the crowd thronged behind. And there was a woman in the crowd who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors through the years and had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she was worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought to herself, If I can just touch his clothing, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel that she had been healed. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, All this crowd is pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have been healed. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from Jairus' home with the message, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus ignored their comments and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter and James and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and the weeping and wailing. He went inside and spoke to the people. Why all this weeping and commotion, he asked. The child isn't dead. She is only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he told them all to go outside. Then he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Get up, little girl. And the girl, who was twelve years old, immediately stood up and walked around. Her parents were absolutely overwhelmed. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone what had happened, and he told them to give her something to eat. Mark 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. End of reading, Mark 3.20 through 6.1. Listening to God's talk show, The Bible Live. You are worthy indeed. The number one reason to praise God, He is true and He is worthy. There are a lot of other reasons because of all the benefits it gives to us and the witness and influence it has for other people. But first and foremost, it's because He is true and worthy of our praise. Mark moves so quickly now from event to event, from person to person. These many people whose lives Jesus touched. I saw a list one time of the people who came in contact with Jesus during this three and a half years of ministry. There are a wide variety of people, up and outers, down and outers, young and old, men and women. There's a despised tax collector, an insane hermit, the Roman governor himself, 
this young boy that has the loaves and the fishes that Jesus uses to feed these crowds that followed him. There was a prominent religious leader. There was a simple homemaker, an expert in religious law, a criminal, a synagogue leader, fisherman, a king, a poor widow. We saw two women tonight, apart from his own family, a Roman centurion or military officer, a group of children, a prophet, an adulterous woman, the Jewish high council, a sick woman, a rich man, a blind beggar, all and on we could go. These men and women who came into touch with the man from Galilee, the Messiah, fulfilling all of those prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures, living a perfect life of faith and obedience to the Father, fulfilling in every way the righteous demands of the law, and then he who knew no sin became sin for us in order to offer us hope and deliverance, not only forgiveness of sin, but the power to overcome, the power to be transformed so that we want what is right. We desire what is right and good. Not just that we keep some rules, but that he writes his laws in our heart so that we live them from the inside out. What a great, wonderful, redemptive plan God has for us through regeneration, delivered from the penalty of sin, and then through sanctification, we're delivered from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit walking and dwelling within us, our wingman, our faithful escort to glory. He will never fail. How beautiful the salvation we have and how beautiful is our Savior. Now, you may have been intrigued, as I was, as you read about his half-brothers coming and saying that he is crazy. He's out of his mind. In the scripture, we are not given every detail of every conversation and every encounter. There could be things going on that we don't see in the simple text. We have to be aware of that. Most people believe that this was probably Jesus' half-brothers, half-sisters from later children of Joseph and Mary, or they may have been cousins. It is true that in the language that is used here, sometimes cousins were considered brothers. They were listed as brothers. Or some have thought that perhaps Joseph, being much older than Mary, might have been widowed and have children by a first wife, and these may have been stepbrothers. Most think, though, that we just take what's written on the paper. Uh, It looks like these might have been his half-brothers. I don't think Mary would be unbelieving. Mary knew who Jesus was. These brothers or half-brothers, we understand that James and Jude came to faith in Jesus as the Messiah much later in life. Of course, we have their books, their testimony as to their faith in Jesus. But at that time, perhaps they had not come to faith. Or perhaps they were saying he's out of his mind in order to protect Jesus. Maybe they were trying to protect him from the attack of the religious leaders or the Roman officials by saying, oh, no, don't arrest him. He's not right in his head. Without knowing what might have been going on in the background, it's a very interesting situation. Uh, We can just take it like that. We do see the priority of God's people to Jesus. That is one of the characteristics of anyone who is truly reconciled to God. One thing that God puts in our heart is a love for the brethren. It's not like we are better than anyone else. We're just beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. There is a closeness. There is a oneness. We identify with one another as believers and followers of Jesus the Christ. I've gone to China or Mongolia. I don't speak the language at all. When we discover that someone is a follower of Jesus, beyond language and everything, in culture even, there is this oneness that comes to the surface. Well, in chapter 4, we see the parable of the four soils, and we're tempted to look at these soils as a matter of evangelism. In other words, how open are people to coming into the relationship with God? And that's one way that we could definitely apply that passage 
But this also has an application to our lives as God's people. Which one of these soils represents your heart attitude toward God? Is your heart hard like the footpath? Are you teachable? Is God able to speak to your heart and give you a mid-course correction in your life? Or are you hard and resistant to God's word in God's directions? That would be the footpath, the shallow soil. Do your roots go down deeply into Christ? Are you growing in the Lord, learning more and more about him and his ways through God's word and through the spirit of God teaching you? Or do you continue to be shallow, feeding on milk and not solid food of the word? Are you willing to do the work and spend the time in the scriptures, in the time in prayer, communing with God and with God's people at church, learning with others? Then there's the weeds. Are you so wrapped up in the affairs of the world? Are you compromised by your commitments to your work? Maybe you're doing a kind of work that you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're involved in a kind of work that is not honoring to God. Maybe you're involved in a lifestyle that is not honoring to God. You know you are disobeying the clear principles and instructions that God would give us. And any word that God would give to you would be choked out by that commitment. And finally, there is that fertile soil that is open, that is teachable, that's pliable. We can learn and grow and will produce fruit. Not only the fruit of a transformed character, but also the fruit of helping to influence and point others toward the Savior as well. The parable of the four soils can apply to all of us. Which soil represents your heart? Jesus touches so many different people. He reaches out and touches them and transforms so many of their lives. He still does today. He never turns a person away himself. But there are those who reject his message. We see that in this message about the Holy Spirit. He says those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's the unforgivable sin. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the new birth, we see in John chapter 3. It is he, the Holy Spirit, who draws us to Christ, draws us to Messiah, and shows us the truth. But when we reject that message, when we reject the gospel, we reject Jesus as Lord and Savior that the Holy Spirit is bringing to us, we reject the only means of salvation. So you can't be saved if you reject the means of salvation. See you next time, folks, here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word.